Good morning. Today, Bezrat Hashem, we'll be learning Daf Tess in Maseches Megillah. And we begin uh, with a conversation. Well, it's Maseches Megillah. So let's start with a conversation about a Mitzorah. Yes, yes. The Ein Bain, the Detour. But by tomorrow, we'll be reading Psukim inside uh, Megillah. And today, we'll have a reference to Megillah. And it's so out of context in uh, these few plot over here, that it'll be considered a dafyomi coincidence. But first, we talk about the mitzora. What's the question of the mitzora? Well, we had talked about where do we know the source for the fact there's two real types of mitzora. You see a lesion, and that lesion is considered deemed to be tzaras based on the call of the kohen. Right, the kohen is the decider here. He determines the reality, the mitzias. Um, and however, sometimes the coin doesn't know, right? So we made the analogy to some, uh, right, to some common uh, modern day examples where you don't know what your status is, and then you go into quarantine for seven days. That is called a musgar, right? He's in hezger, he's in quarantine, as opposed to muchlat, where it's obvious, or it's at that point determined definitively, it's definitive that he has saras, and the question is. Right, we had a we had a source. The Mishnah said the only difference between a mitzor musgar, the quarantined, and a mitzor muchlat. Our Mishnah said was priya prima, okay, and that was the first discussion. The question of the hair and the tearing of the clothes, and then it said that's on the way in. Then it said ein bein tar mitocha heskel tar mitoch hechlet el tiglachat v'tziparaim. So that's the part where we are over here. What is the source where, that when you are leaving the state of Tsaras and you're purifying, it, it, the only difference is if you've been determined for sure that you're muchlat and you have inherent actual Tsaras, so then you're going to have to take a shave and bring a carbon with birds. But if it was a, we'll call it a, uh, not really a precautionary, but if, it's some, if it was a hezger or you're quarantined, and we're still trying, it's an abeyance, we're still trying to figure out if you have inherent saras, so then you, when it turns out that you come out and it really wasn't saras after all, and you're tohor from that, you're not going to require uh, to bring the bird korban, and you're not going to require to get that haircut. So we brought one suggestion yesterday as to the source, and then Rava yesterday said, the suggestion is no. From Vehatsarua Acherbo Hanega, the pasuk that is this talk that's talking about um, the the Priyan Prima actually it talks about Acherbo Hanega. Acherbo Hanega sounds like this is going back to the, um, that when you're talking about exempting going on the way in from letting his hair grow for Priya Prima. So we're talking about Hatsarua Asher Bo Hanega. That in that context. It says bo, which implies it's inherent to the to Mitzorah's body, right? In other words, it's not part of you until it's been determined definitively that you have it. It's not considered bo anega when you're still just in quarantine figuring out whether you have it or not, okay? As the Gemara continues to say, right? In other words, bo implies he, where the tsaras is in his guf. Uh, to exclude that, whose saras is not in his guf, but rather it is only treated as if he has saras because he's in quarantine and we don't really know if he has saras. So now we left, so Abaye had a question on that. That's 14 lines up from the bottom of Chesim and Abaye, Eilev Ata. 
Okay? So he questions, if that's the case, then what about this? Call Right? When we're talking about um, the Mitzorah, in a different context, it says, all the days where the Tzaras is in him, and then it says, Right? In that context, it's a question of who goes outside the camp. That's the puzzle. Right? Should go outside of the Machane. Okay. Well, if in that pasuk it says that that matzora has to go out of the machna, well, we've already learned that everybody has to go out of the machna. That one thing that for sure both the muchlat and the muskar need to do is go out of the machna, right? Either way, you're in quarantine because we're still not sure, so to speak, what you have. So as the Gemara says, Abai says, If it's true what you're saying, Rava, that the word bo is referring to inherent Muchlat Saras, well, the word Bo appears also in the context of sending him out of the Machane. Right? And if that were the case, then you would infer that a Mitzorah that is just a, uh, that is just a Musgar would not need to be sent out of the Machane. But that can't be true, as the Bayah continues to say, and if you're going to say that that's the case, and we learned in our own Mishnah, Right, that the only difference between a muskar and a muchlat is the fact that the muchlat has to go and get his clothes torn and let his hair grow out, and the muskar does not. But they're both similar with regards to the shiluach, right? As the continues to say, with regards to being sent outside the city, right, or conferring right tuma. To, to things. So with regards to that, Maviyam just means that they, there is a, um, an idea of being Matama, everything that in the house that you enter. Okay. So when you have Shiluach, and yet the Pasuk uses the word bow. So what's Rava saying when he says that bow means that it has to be inherent? Obviously, even though the word bow appears in the Pasuk with regards to Shiluach, it is it actually uses the, the word bo, even though it's clearly referring both to the Musgar and the Mukhlat. So Rabbi's answer is, Amalei Yemei, call Yemei, that it's an exception. Because that Pasuk, by sending out, unlike the Pasuk where it says, Vatsuru Asher Bohanega, the Pasuk that says, call Yemei, Asher Hanega Bo, it says, call Yemei. It brings in the concept of days. By bringing in the concept of days, it's tacking on that this Shiluach from the uh, Machanet would apply to the Musgar as well, right? I'm like, you may, call you may, the Rabbis Mitzvah, Musgar Lashiluach, to include, right, with, by introducing the concept of the days into this Pasuk, yes, Enachinami, when you see the construct, the, the sentence having the word bow, it usually means a Muchlat, but here we added on the Musgar by saying, call you may. That's what the Abba, uh, Rava answers. So the Gemara asks, Ihachi, Tiglachavitziparai, my time alone. Right, so then, if that's the case, so then why is it that the Musgar does not have need Tiglachavitzi Prime on the way in, Diktani, uh, rather on the way out, uh, when he's being Mitahar, right, as the Hemshech of our Mishnah says, that on the way out, right, out of confinement, the Musgar does not need to shave his head uh, when he's being Mitahar and bring the Karbonus, why not? That's just a quote of our Mishnah, right? Right, as we've learned in our own Mishnah. So 
what's, what's the question? Why do we think that it should apply? Well, because again, it says Bo <laughs> in the Psukim. So Bo seems to include, uh, seems to only be referring to the Mukhlat. The only reason that, so it sounds like the way Abaye is constructing it, that really when it says Bo, all of these halachas should only apply, right, to the, to the Mukhlat. Um, However, right, now that we're saying Yimei, Yimei makes it sound like we're including the Muskar as well. So if we're including the Muskar as well, so then why aren't we including him also for the Tiglachat Betsiparayim? So Amar Abaye, Amar Kra, right, and that was really Abaye's question, right, over here. The Gemara asks that question. So Abaye is going to explain. Amar Abaye, Amar Kra, Yatsakoyin Okay. That the coin is leaving on the Machana, and we see that the Negatsaraz has been healed, which is to say, So we have a separate source. So here, Abaya is really kind of backing up Rava, saying that there's a separate source, a Limud, that the birds and the shaving only apply, right, to a Mukhlat, as Rashi down here explains. The last Rashi before the Mishnah. Uh, six or seven lines up from the bottom. In other words, it's a juxtaposition of psukim. The pasuk says that when the coin leaves here we have nirpa negatzaras. Nirpa negatzaras means what? You had tzaras and it was healed. In other words, when you say that tzaras was healed, tzaras can only be healed if you add actually tzaras, right? If you say you recovered from COVID, nobody says you recovered from quarantine, right? Nobody says you recovered from uh, possible cautionary, uh, right, cautionary exposure. No, that's not something that you recover from. You recover from the actual thing. So that's what it means. When it says nirpa, it means you recovered. That's what the Abaye is saying at the end here. Misha tsarasa tluya berfuos. Tluya berfuos means that it can be healed, which is to say that it's real. Right? To exclude, so basically we have a separate pasuk. So now, basically what we've come to now is Abaye, he's not really backing up Rava, it's just like the Hemshech at the end of the Gemara is we have now a source from Rava as to, uh, second, right, he has a second opinion, a source from Rava which he's defended as to why the beginning of our mission is true, which is to say why Priya Prima only applies to the Mechlat. And then we have a source from Abaye, a separate Pasuk over here, that it has to be Mishas or Asad as to why the shaving and the birds only apply to the Mechlat. But the end result is that on your way in, a Mitzorah, right, is the same, whether he's Muska or Mechlat, with, res- uh, with respect to everything other than Priya Prima, as we've just shown in the Psukim, and on the way out, when you're being purified, it, the Mechlat and the Muska are the same, uh, with respect to being sent out and all of that and being Matami, other things, but it is different with regards to the bringing the birds, right, and shaving the head, as Abaya has just discussed. Good. So now we're at the Mishnah, the very bottom of Chesim Beis, and Mishnah starts talking about different types of languages, and it's going to bring us slowly back to the concept of Megillah. Says the Mishnah, Ain Bain, so right, this is what's the uniting theme, all the Ain Bains here. Ain Bain's farm, let's fill in a mezuzus, Elisha's farm, Nichtavin Bechol Lashon. Let's fill in a mezuzus, Ain Nichtavas Ela Ashuras. So the first thing is, what is farm? Books, Rashi, on the Mishnah's farm, Torah, Nevi'im, and Ksuvim. 
the first thing we have to understand is we're talking about cloth here. We're talking about all the things that a sofer would write. So what's the difference? That tefillin and mezuzos have to read, tefillin and mezuzos have to be written in ksav ashuris. What's ksav ashuris? Ksav ashuris is our block letters, okay? There is a discussion we've already had. We're going to delve into it a little bit more here. Ksav Ashuris versus Ksav Ivri. What we know is Ksav Ashuris. There was a big discussion when we talked about this about with regards to the Luchos also. We've already discussed only a few blot ago the concept of the Luchos and the development of the, of the font, right? And whether the Mem and the Samech had to be suspended in midair magically. But let's, let's try to keep focus here. What we're talking about is the best way to sort of illustrate it, even though it's not exactly correct, is that Ivri, Ksav Ivri is like script. Okay, Ksav Ivri is not really what we're used to. It would be like as if you were writing uh, cursive script, right, on a, on a note or on your own personal notes or something like that. Ksav Ashuris is what we know as Ksav, okay? Fine. Now, again, the mission is saying that that is only a prerequisite for Tefillin and Mezuzahs because those things can't be written in other languages. But the Tanakama is saying something that we're very not used to, which is what? You could write a Sefer Torah, and what? It could, you could be Yodse with such a Sefer Torah if it's written in a different language? What's going on here? So let's see. That is the sheet of the Tanakama. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, however, Omer, says the Mishnah, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel is saying that Sfarim, not just Tefillin Mezuzah, but even Sfarim, can't be written in any other foreign language, which is to say, of course, it can be written in Ksav Ashuris, as Rashi explains, right? says Rashi, lahem acher right? Ela Yevanis, right? But there is one outlier thing, language, that's different than all the others, as we'll discuss, and that's Greek. But with the exception of Greek, it's really the Shita of Rabbi Shimon Gamliel that everything has to be written, really, in Ksav Ashuris, both Philin and Mezuzos and Tanakh, it really all has to be written as we're used to, because we paskin, as we'll see, like Rav Shem Gamliel, everything has to be written in Hebrew. However, there is the one exception of Greek, which we will see, and uh, reasonably it's because it happened once already, in the Septuagint. It happened once that we wrote in Greek, and to sort of allow that, to justify that we did it that one time, we had, it's like a side, an outlier uh, dispensation that we're allowed to do that. But really, the fundamental machlokas here, um, the Greek notwithstanding, uh, we will delve into it, but the fundamental machlokas is that the Tanakhama says that basically only Tzul and Mezuzah have to be written in what we call Hebrew, right, in Lashon Kodesh, and Rav Shem Galil says everything, also Tanakh has to be written in Lashon Kodesh. So first the Gemara says as follows, says the Gemara, in other words, according to, right, the Tanakama, even even or anyone, even according to the Tanakama, who says that the only difference uh, that the difference would be even in how they're they're uh, written in the language, nobody would argue against this idea that all the, the svarim that a sofer is going to write have to be sewed together with what begidin with natural organic sinews of animal. That is a halacha l'moshim sinai, and also latame sayadaim zevis shavim latame sayadaim is, as we've discussed in the past, a Durabanon dispensation that tells you that if you touch it, it's going to be, if you touch the Sifrei Kodesh, it's going to be Matame Yur Yadayim. Why did they say so? Because once a Sefer, and we will discuss this in Mesechus Megillah, a discussion, 
is Megillus Esther Metame Sayadaim. So the way we say it uh, in modern times is, is it canonized? Which is to say, if it's considered one of the Sifrei Tanakh, it will be Metame Sayadaim because that was determined by Chazal for the reason of storage. As we learned already in Sechel's Brachas, I believe it was, that if you were to store such a thing, if we didn't give you this Gezeir uh, Darbanan, that's Metam Yadaim, then people might put it in their grain silos or in somewhere disrespectful, right? The Sefer Torah or the cloth of the Navi, and then the rats would come eat it, okay? It would be dealt with in a disrespectful way. In order to make sure that we store these holy, right, scriptures in somewhere, uh, respectful, they said, this is going to be metame or yadaim. So you better make sure to deal with it accordingly in a very respectful way. That, but, but when we say it, metame yadaim, we mean that it's a real cloth, right? So to speak, right? That it's a real safe, it has a real kadusha. That's what we, that what we say. But really it's because it has that kadusha that Chazal made a darabanan of being metame yadaim. Fine. So now, minhu. So now let's see. We have a, Brisa that seems to reject our Mishnah as follows. Says the Brisa. Mikrish Akatsu Targum. Let's say somebody wrote any one of the Sifrei Tanakh, a Mikra, uh, in Aramaic. Vitargum Shakatsu Mikra. Or, conversely, you wrote some Aramaic text in Hebrew. Uksav Ivri, and somebody wrote it like in script, and not Ksavashurus. Eina Metami Yasaydaim. That's not Metami Yasaydaim. Achich Tevenu Bechsavashurus Alasefer, Shurus Alasefer Ovidio. Okay, so what's happening here is we seem to have a Brysa that says that the only way, right, that we can, right, the only way that you can ever have a Tumas Yadaim, right, that you ever have a Kadosh Sefer is if you write it properly in Ksav Ashuris, right? So it seems to contradict, certainly the Tanakama and even Rav Shimon Gamliel seems to contradict because all this thing, we're saying the Tanakama says it could be written in Lashon and Rav Shimon Gamliel says it could be written in Greek. It sounds from this price, like, what are you talking about? In order to be considered a, a real safer, a real cloth, it has to be written in Hebrew. That's what we're used to. We would have said like this price if we didn't know otherwise. Now, uh, the art scroll here points out, and it doesn't even quote who he gets it from, but it points out that our Mishnah wasn't discussing so much about Tumas Yudayim. Our Mishnah was just talking about whether you're allowed to write it. Those seems to be two separate things. Uh, but there's an equivalency that's achieved here that's assumed in our kasha of the Gemara. In other words, but it's assumed that if it's mitame etzayadayim, that means that it's a real safer, which means that that's the only way you're allowed to write it. Okay, so let's assume that it, once you assume that, so then this price really is a steer of both the Tanakama and to some extent of Shem Gamliel as well. So the question is, how do we reconcile our Mishnah with this price? So I'm a Rava Lo Kasha. So as we finally arrive at Tessa at 554, we turn on the afterburners and we say the following. Kan begofen shalanu, kan begofen shalahen. The best way to say gofen here is like font. In the case of our Mishnah, you're taking the foreign uh, language and you're writing it in transliterated, right, uh, Ashuras, Ksav Ashuras, right? And that is, in fact, going to be considered a real safer. safer. Whereas in the Brisa, what they're doing it is writing in their own foreign script, and that's why it doesn't have that status. That is the first resolution. However, wait a minute. How do you explain the Brisa? Wait a minute. So you're saying that what? That in the Brisa, the reason why it doesn't work, 
right? The reason is because it was written in their font. Well, what do you mean? My ira mikra shakasuf targum targum shakasuf mikra. So what do you mean? Mikra shakasuf targum targum shakasuf mikra. Right? The Brisa seems to say that the reason why it's not going to be metame edidaim is because you wrote targum in Hebrew and you wrote Hebrew in targum and that, that shouldn't be the problem. If you wrote it in their font or whatever the other language was, so then it wouldn't matter whether you wrote Targum in Hebrew or Hebrew or Targum, as Abayi continues to say, right? Right? Then if you wrote it in, their, in the wrong font, then even if you wrote Targum, let's say, in their font, or you wrote Mikra even in some foreign font, that shouldn't work either according to the rest of the Brisa, because the Brisa itself says that if you wrote it in, right, Ksav Ivri, it wouldn't work. So anything other than Ksav Ashuris wouldn't work. So what are you saying that it's in their font? It can't be. The Akatani, as the Bible continues to say, Ashuris ala Sefer Bidyo. That in order to be considered an actual Sefer, it has to be in Ashuris, and like we know it, in Ashuris and Besefer Bidyo. So if that's the case, so then it can't be that the question is what font you're doing. It has to be that in all of these cases, we're doing actual Ksav Ashuris font. El Kasha. So now Abaye has to suggest, or the Gemara really has to suggest, a different solution as to the difference between the Brisa and the Mishnah, right? In other words, the suggestion that, that we were talking about, um, that the, the reason why the Brisa demanded Ashuris is because it was talking about cases where it was a different, a different, it, uh, written in a different font, didn't make any sense in the context of the Brisa. It has to be that there's something else. So what is that something else as follows? Says the Gemara, Harabanan, Harab Shem Gamliel. It's simple. The Mishnah, which says that you can write it in other languages, is talking about the sheet of the Tanakama. And the Brisa, which is talking about everything has to be written on Ksav Ashuris and on, and, uh, and Bidyo, is Roshim and Gamaliel, right? Because that's really fundamentally the Machlokas in our Mishnah. That Roshim and Gamaliel says that everything has to be written in Hebrew. Aye, it's true that Roshim and Gamaliel says that there's a detail where it could also be written in Yavanas. So that's what the Gemara asks. Says the Gemara, Yavanis. <laughs> the Brisa said that it has to be written in Hebrew. But we do have this little detail with regards to Roshim and Gamaliel that he says that it could also be written, by the way, in Yavanis. So that seems to contradict our Brisa. So says the Gemara, no. El Elokasha, Kan Bisfarim. Okay, so maybe it's not a Tanakama Rishim Gamliel thing. It's, sim- it's simply within the Tanakama. What the Tanakama had said in our Mishnah was that what? That Svarim could be written in different languages. Tefillin and Mezuzah have to be written in Ashuras. Oh, so there you go. Tefillin and Mezuzah is what the Brysa was meaning, right? When the, when the Brysa says, Mikra Shakasvit Targum, and Targum Shakasvit Mikra, it was talking to Stam, which everybody agreed. Everybody agrees it has to be written only in block letters. Says the Gemara, however, that, how do we know? What's the source? Tefillin Mezuzah is my time out. What would be the source that makes even the Tanakam agree that it has to be written in Ksav Ashuris? Mikshim Dixiv, Behu, Vehayu, right? Vehayu, in Kriyashma, we say Vehayu. Hayu implies Behavayasan Yehu, that it has to remain as they are, don't mess with it, has to change in the original Lashon Kodesh, not in any other language. Oh, Gemara, however, asks, if it's true that the Brisa is talking about filling mezuzahs, what does the Brisa mean when it says Mikra Shakasu Targum Targum Shakasu Mikra? After all, we don't have Targum on filling and mezuzahs. As the Gemara continues to say, Bishle Matara Ika Yegar Sahadusa. I understand if you're talking about Tanakh, then in Chumash, at least it says Yegar Sahadusa, as Rashi explains, when, right, Lavan and Yaakov were making 
their bris, and it and it was really supposed the tell the tell gal or the gal aid rather, right? The gal aid was the uh, was written as yigar sahadusa, which is to say there are certain Aramaic words at least in Tanakh where the example might be that you write the Aramaic in Hebrew or the Hebrew in Aramaic. But it happens to be that if you look at its fill and mezuzah, those are portions of Tanakh that are written up that have no Aramaic in them at all. And therefore, it would not make sense to say that this part, this b'risa that says that you can't write it in any other language other than Hebrew, whether it's, whether it's right, Targum in Hebrew or Hebrew in Targum, well, that doesn't make sense with it in the context of Stam because there is no Targum in Stam that could be converted to Hebrew. So the Gemara has to still pivot again and says, Elokasha, Kanbim Megillah, oh, Dafyomi coincidence. We mentioned the Megillah, Mesechus Megillah. Kanbim Megillah, Kanbis Farim. How do you like that? Megillah's Esther is the one thing that our Baisa was talking about, right? Whereas our Mishnah was talking about other Sfarim. Says the Gemara, Megillah, my Taima. Where, why does Megillah, first of all, like we asked with Mezuzah, why does Megillah have to be written only in Hebrew? You'll remember that as one of the Psukim in Megillah Sester. I would have thought that it meant the exact opposite. I would have thought that the Pashib Shad is that it could be written in any language, like just so you can understand it. But we're learning it here, right? The, the Limud we're learning here is that it can be written only in the language and the Lushan of the Jews. Okay. Okay. Megillah can only be in Hebrew. The Gemara asks, okay. But we had the question by, 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 uh, Mezuzah and Tfilin that there's no Targum. Where is there Targum in Megillah's Esther? Ask the Gemara. My Targum Shakasr Mikra Ika. Where is there Targum in the Megillah? Amar of Papa. Vinishma Pisgam Hamelach. We think of a Pitgam as a Hebrew word, but it's originally a Aramaic word that means Dvar. Okay, so there you go, you have Aramaic in the Megillah. Or of Nachman by Yitzchak, right, the valedictorian of Psachim says, Amar, yitnu yikar and all the women will give honor to their husband. The true prophecy, Andrew. <laughs> um, all the women will give yikar. We say it every week, right? Another Pasuk from Megillah's Esther. Yikar, you did not necessarily know this, but it's an Aramaic word. It means kavod. Okay, so there you go. So there is a context where Megillah is has to be written in only Hebrew, and there is an example of where it's Aramaic to Hebrew and Hebrew to Aramaic, and therefore that could be what the Bryce is referring to. That is solution number one. Ravashi is going to now offer solution number two. Ravashi Amar Kitanya he Bishar Sfarim. Well, maybe the Bryce was talking about other, right, the Nach, let's say, not Chumish, Verbi Yehudahi. And it follows Verbi Yehudahi, the Tanya, Tfilim, Bezuz, Enich, Samim, El Ashuris, Verabaseinu, Hitiru Yevonis. Verbi Yehudah held, uh, well, the Brisa said, right, that Rabotenu, which is Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, allowed, right, Tfilin and Mezuzas to be written in Greek. Wait a minute. He even allowed Tfilin and Mezuzas to be written in Greek? What's going on here? Vaksiv We just quoted a puzzle that says Tfilin and Mezuzas have to be written in Hebrew. So how could Rabbi Shimon Gamliel say that Tfilin and Mezuzas can be written in Greek? Says the Gemara, no, no, no. Right, that uh, I'm sorry. Right, that the Sfarim is where the Machlokis is, right? That the other books of Tanakh, right, um, can be written Lashon, as the Tanakhama says, and Rav Shimon Gamliel says it could be written in Hebrew, or if you're going to write in a different language, it better be Greek, as Rav Shimon Gamliel says. And the question there is, however, Hitiri Miklal Tanakhama Aser. Well, that implies that the Tanakhama doesn't 
allowed to write in Greek, right? The way you said that sounded weird because it sounded like it was that Rav Shimon Gamliel was more permissive by allowing Greek and, and that's not the case. We know that the Tanakhama hold that, that all, that, that, that the Tanakhama was more permissive than Rav Shimon Gamliel. It sounds here like Rav Shimon Gamliel is like going on a limb that he's more permissive. So what's going on? Rav Shimon Gamliel, when it says Rav Shimon means Rav Shimon Gamliel here. He only allowed Yavanis. But when Rav Shimon Gamliel allowed Yavanis, the only case where he allowed it was by a Sefer Torah. Aha. And this is because of the famous... Uh, of, of King Ptolemy, which we're going to get into now. But basically, that resolution is so that with regards to other Tanakh, right, and follows Rabbi Yehuda, who's talking about the Shittas of Shimon Gamliel, right, that Philip Mezuzas would be by Ashuris, and then Rav Shimon Gamliel is, is allowing Yevonis, okay? So now we're going to learn the story of Ptolemy Amelech, uh, an astonishing story, the Tanya. Here's the Brisa. Maisa Ptolemy Amelech. That's why it's called a septuagint. I'm not going to pronounce that correctly, but that's the technical word for something to do with 72. 72, this was a big deal in our history, okay? Because Tommy Amelch understood, he, it sounds like he intuited that there was stuff in the Torah that was going to make the Jews, uh, that he was going to be able to pick up, that he was going to pick on us for. Right, things that may, were either philosophically questionable or insulting to Talmi Amelech himself, stuff that he could really crucify us for, so to speak, um, that he could really punish us for. And so he did, this is called the prisoner's dilemma, right? How much do you say? Because you separate out everybody and then you tell them, right, that they're going to, that they're going to now have to uh, write down the Sefer Torah in a mm. language that you can understand. And a miracle occurred, Andrew. And all 72 of the Chachamim intuited these incredible changes in the Psukim, really. He had them translated to Greek. So this is why Rav Shem Gamliel allows Yavanis. That's one of the reasons. We'll see. There's a Pusuk for it. But basically because of the fact that we had to change it to Greek once, so we're justifying changing it to Greek in the future. When they translated into Greek in this particular Misa, all Chazal had Ruach HaKodesh, and they changed it all in the same way so as not to offend Talmi and not to create any kind of philosophical conundrums as follows, says the Gemara. So the 72 are put in 72 different cells. He didn't even tell him why they were in these cells. But this was a plot. He said, everybody, write for me in Greek what your Torah says. He's going to start uh, punishing people here. However, a miracle essentially happened where Kaddish Baruch Hu gave the same Eitzah to every 72. Miraculously, they all agreed to write a version of the Torah that wasn't really what the Torah exactly says. An inexact translation that kept everybody safe. And the miracle is that they all thought of the following Changes, because we low, as follows. For example, let's start at the very beginning. We know it says, Bereshis bar Elohim. No, they all translated it as, Elohim bara Bereshis, right? Elohim bara Bereshis, why? Because Bereshis bar Elohim sounds like a different force created Hashem before he created everything else. Chas v'shalom. They didn't want to give Talmud that ammunition, so they all wrote Elohim bara Bereshis. Okay, how about Ese Adam B'Tselem Ovidmus? Well, they, they, they also, they wrote, 
that's not that's not what the pasuk says, right? The pasuk because that sounds like by us it says naase adam ketzalmenu, right? Well, that sounds like there's multiple deities chas v'shalom. So they said ase adam betzalamuvidmus, right? Not ketzalmenu, but betzalamuvidmus in a form. Okay, good one. How about vaychal b'yom hashishi vayspos b'yom hashvi? Right, as Rashi says, it didn't say vaychal b'yom hashvi because it sounds like Hashem did malacha and Shabbos chas v'shalom. So they changed it from Vayachal B'Yom HaShvi'i to Vayachal B'Yom HaShishi, right? To avoid anything that we're going to get picked on for. Okay, how about the next thing? Zachar and Nekeva Baro, and here the Gemara explains what they, they said. They said that they created, right, him. Zachar and Nekeva, instead of them. Why is that, why is that helpful? Well, because it, it, this is to dis pose of the notion that that the there was male and female created at the same time. Uh, that's a little rough. Ben Yoyot explains why would that be a problem? In other words, why is it better to say that they were created like as the same thing? Um, a little bit a little bit uh, difficult that one. Okay. How about this one? Hava Eredov Evla Shams Fasam. Okay. Migdal Bavel. I'm gonna go down, I'm gonna confuse their language. What's wrong with that? Um, so it says, because it said, the original puzzle, we're confused this language, but that was, again, hava, right? When it says hava nerda, sounds like there's plurality. Hava erda was to show that's just one God. Okay, fine. Next one. We have process that you laughed inwardly. Well, why did they change that to bikroveha? Well, because we know that Avram laughed and Sarah also laughed. However, Sarah was called out for it. And Avram, it sounds like he got away with it. Now, our Chazal teach us that it was because Avram was laughing a simcha, a laughter of simcha, whereas Sarah was laughing a laughter of disbelief. Okay, but when you just read the Pashup Shad, it looks like a double standard. Like Sarah was punished, like Hashem isn't fair. Like he punished Sarah and didn't punish Avram for the same thing. So therefore, they changed the Bikirva to Bikirvea to show that's not a double standard, but rather Sarah like, had a whole gathering and was laughing with her family about it, Bikirvea. And that's why she was punished. Wow. Again, the fact that they all thought of it at the same time is miraculous indeed, right? Bikirvea instead of Bikirva. Okay. Oh, this past week's Pasha, not the coincidence, right? When Yaakov is talking to Shimon Levi, right, he says that they killed Ashore, right? So what's the original pasuk? Kibapam hargu ish uviratzam ikru shor. So why it says kibapam hargu shor? Well, because it's keeping a certain uh, element of truth, right? Because Shem is kind of like a behema, right? However, instead of saying kibapam hargu ish, kibapam hargu ish makes Shimon Levi sound like there was some sort of homicidal right agenda aside from just the revenge of their their daughter, you know. Ptolemy at this point is gripped with, he's reading it with a fine tooth comb. Like he knows the story of Shem. He knows that they killed. But when it says, it sounds like there was an additional homicidal tendency there. And they didn't want that to be there. So they changed it to, that no, they only killed, right, so to speak, the behemoths out of, and there was no additional uh, agenda or motive other than the revenge of their sister. Okay. Then, Right, it says, 
in the original Pasuk that he put him on the donkey. That makes us look bad. What? Our leader of all time, the greatest, Moshe Rabbeinu, got in, in his kids and wife into a dodge dart to go save Klal Yisrael? That's, that's a busha. So they, they changed it to, he got into his vehicle, it doesn't matter. Let Ptolemy assume that it was a Tesla. What do we care? Okay, fine. <laughs> all right. Yeah. In other words, so the original Pasuk says that we were in Mitzrayim for 400 years, but we weren't. We were there for 210 years. So just to avoid that whole issue, it says that the Yeshua Mitzrayim, they changed it, they added Uvishar Aratzos. The other lands also. When you add it all up uh, from the birth of Yitzchak, Right, then you get your four hundred. You get your four hundred years. Okay, vayishlach es zatute bnei Israel. So that is instead of the ne'arim, right? When we're talking about uh, going out lashon chashivus, as Rashi says, right? Because when it says that we sent the uh, ne'arim to go start the avoda, right? So then, so in that case, ne'arim sounds like narish a little bit too much. Like Ptolemy thought the ne'arim sounded a little too much like the word narishkeit. Right? Because it's not Chashiv. Right? Right, Barry? So he changed it to Zatute, which is like the real Cracker Jacks. Okay? So to make it seem more Kavadik again. So that's amazing, right? Like we're making the Torah sound more Kavadik for the Goyim. In this case, Ptolemy. It's, it's an unbelievable miracle here. Okay? And then, Ve'el Zatute B'nei Yisrael, Lo Shalach Yodo. And against, again, he didn't put forth his hand. What Rashi again, Lo Chashivus, that he didn't put forth his hand um, in the same parsha, it talks about, and again, since he said Zatute before, and later it says Atsile, they decided to keep uniformity. Once it said Zatute, we want to have like plausible deniability and keep it Zatute, like as if it said Zatute all along. Okay. Now again, um, my assumption is that they're writing this in what? In, in a, not in Hebrew per se, right? Because the whole point was that they translated it. Maybe not. I guess not. Maybe this was, sounds like they wrote it in Hebrew. I have to look more at the history of the Septuagint. It's, it's amazing. He asked them to what? To translate it? Or he asked them to... I think they wrote it in Greek, didn't he? That's the whole point here. So they had to write it in Greek. So how is it... How is Zatute? I guess Zatute and Narim looks different in Greek, right? You have to look at the art scroll translation and then you'll see um, what they're talking about. Of course, art scroll translate uh, Zatute as Zatute, right? So anyways... Yeah, the whole point is that he wrote it in Greek and it sounds. So we turn to Tosam and Beis and we have more, more examples. This is when Moshe Rabbeinu is telling Klal Yisrael, I didn't take anything from you. Well, he says, I didn't take a chamor. But again, if he says, if you get really specific and you say, you know, I didn't even take a Dodge Dart from you. So it sounds like I didn't take the company car, but maybe I took something else. So instead, it just said a blanket, no desired object. I took nothing of you of any kind, Okay. Next pasuk, which Hashem has given you to give light, right? Right? In other words, right? Um, because otherwise, it says, So we added the word because otherwise it sounds like Hashem gave all these lights to the Goyim in order so that they can enjoy Avodazara. But that's not what He gave them to. We want to specify that it was in order to illuminate. The world, not for Avodah Zarah Chas V'Shalom, okay? And then it says, V'yelech V'yavod, for similar reasons, V'yelech V'yavod, Elohim Acherim, Asher Lo Tzivisi Le'ovdam. Elohim Acherim, Asher Lo Tzivisi, fascinating here. 
What it really means is that he went and served other gods, which I did not allow to exist. But here is an unbelievable idea. They knew that it was so far into Ptolemy, the idea that other gods wouldn't exist, that he was, doesn't even accept that. In other words, you think your god didn't allow other gods to exist? Well, here they are. So they said, you know what? Fine. Let him have that. <laughs> Let's just say, they didn't command that you should worship them. So in an amazing, like almost ironic twist, they didn't want to write that other gods don't exist, even though we just wrote all these other psukim to, to, to not give in and to show that we only believe in one God for the sake of these other psukim and how the Goyim view it. They didn't want to, they didn't want to concede that the Goyim shouldn't believe that there's another God. They said, fine, whatever. You believe there's other gods, so I'm not going to get into it. Just say that you're not allowed to worship them. I'm not going to say that they don't, I'm not going to like uh, highlight the fact that they don't exist because then you're going to argue with me that they do, even though they don't. Amazing. Okay. And, and then, the Kosvulo, and then here it says, fascinating in the Gemara, that for him, this was one that was not just for the benefit of anybody who will ever see, but specifically for the benefit of Ptolemy. What was so? Well, as it turns out, Ptolemy had a wife whose name was Bunny. <laughs> and the word Arneves appears in the Torah as one of the non-kosher animals. And so they thought that, we're, that he's going to think that we're making fun of him. And right, he's so self-centered that he thinks the Torah was written and called Bunny, a non-kosher animal, in order to poke fun at Ptolemy. No. So instead of writing Bunny, they wrote C. Rasaraglaim, short-legged animal. But it really meant, right where it said Bunny, they wrote short-legged animal. As the Gemara continues to say, Shel Ptolemy Arnevishma. That was her name. So Ptolemy won't say they're trying to make fun of my wife and that's why they said that a bunny was an unkosher animal. Wow. Fine. Amazing, amazing story and all the psukim, obviously an amazing miracle and it's amazing that based off of that we're allowed to write Yavanis. However, we have another source. Once we allowed it, we do bring it back to a scriptural source as the Gemara continues to say. Um... Right, that even the, the Tanakh can't be written in any other language other than Greek. And that's how we paskin. And we're used to that, right? Everything we see has Ksav Ashurs. Uh, what's this Yavanis thing? What's the source of Yavanis? The famous Pasuk. Right, this was a bracha, right? That all the beautiful things of Yafet can be in all a shame. Now, shame is our progenitor, right? We are from the shevet of, we are from, right, uh, descendants of shame, the, right, the yeshiva of shame ve'ever, right? So that's all a shame is our base medrash. Those are our svarim. Yafes is a different kid. He's one of the other two kids. But Greek comes from Yafet. Wait a minute. As we famously learn that there are certain aspects of Yefet that can end up in our base medrash, in all a shame. Aye, but why is it Dafka Yavan? Asks the Gemara, maybe it could be some other. Yefet is a pretty broad spectrum, right? He had a lot of different kids. Why Dafka Yavan? No, the most beautiful of all of the kids of Yefet. The most beautiful of Yefet, which is the Greek, which is the most beautiful of all the languages, apparently, of the descendants of Yefet, and that is the source that of Rav Shimon Gamliel that could also be written in Yavanis. Of course, I don't, you know, in a certain sense, it's, it's going backwards, right? Because this is uh, after the Ptolemy uh, incident of the Septuagint, they allowed the Greek 
uh, to be written, perhaps to justify it, but be that as it may, we have a Pasuk to support it. Okay. Next Mishnah. Another Ein Bain. Ein Bain Kof Mashuach Veshevin Mishcha Lemerubi Begadim Ela Par Habal Kol Mitzvah. What's going on here? Well, these are both coin Gadols as we learned in Maseches Yuma. But there's two ways to anoint a coin Gadol. One is, and the classic way, is to anoint him with anointing oil. However, the anointing oil was, uh, at the time of Josiah, okay, was lost. And from their point forward and going into the whole Bayashani, they did it by simply Merube Begadim. They anointed the coin Gadol by putting on the Shemoni Begadim of the coin Gadol on him. So both ways are ways of creating a coin Gadol, but there's a difference. There's a difference because Ela Par Haba'al Kol HaMitzvos. As Rashi explains, Koin Mashiach, Shehora Heta Bedover Shazdona Koros, Biaso Koroso, Mevi Par. As we know, if a coin that's Meshuach with oil is accidentally, right, erroneously Moraheter, allowing something to do where it's Donos Kores, then he has to bring a par, right? That is uh, out of a Pasuk, because the Pasuk itself says, as Rashi explains, Im It says specifically that he has to be Meshuach. Meshuach means smeared with oil. So that par is a korban, a bull, that only such a coin would have to bring in that very specific scenario. Whereas if the way the coin gadol became a coin gadol was by putting on his vestments, he would not have to bring such a par in that unique scenario. Oh. Now the Mishnah continues to say, Ein bein coin mishamish l'koin she'avar. So what's a coin mishamish koin she'avar? A coin mishamish is an active coin gadol. Coin she'avar is the, let's say the coin gadol had... Uh, the Kohen Gadol, let's say, had a psul, a mum. So you bring in the backup, as we learned in Masechus Yuma, in the first Mishnah. I, or, or then, and then he comes back. When he comes back, what are you going to do with the interim Kohen Gadol? So we're going to have to turn him into a Kohen She'avar, right? A, a Kohen Gadol Emeritus. We're going to talk about this a little bit in the Mishnah. What's the difference between a Kohen Gadol Emeritus and a Kohen Gadol? El apar yom ha-kippur sa'efa. That the, the, uh, only the acting Kohen Gadol can bring the Par Yom HaKippurim. Famously, that's a korban that he brings for himself and his family and the entire family of Kohanim from his own personal right funds. And that is only the active Kohen Gadol that brings. What's the Aserit HaEfa? That's talking about the Mincha. That's actually the daily Mincha that is called the Chavite Kohen Gadol, right? As Rashi explains, where he's bringing an Aserit HaEfa, a tenth of, a fla- of an Efa flower, that's only the active Kohen Gadol bringing. Um, and, and, and that is only, right, brought once a day. Just like the bull on Yom Kippur is only brought once a year. So since it can only be brought once, other Kabbalists, perhaps the Kohen Gadol Emeritus, we'll call him, right, the retired one, can do. But those can only be done once per day or once per year in the case of the of Par Yom Kippurim. And therefore, the the emeritus coin gadol can't go ahead and duplicate it uh, during that day. It's only reserved for the active coin gadol at the time. So says the Gemara. Well, with regards to the par yom kippurim and the asir sa'efa, it sounds like what? What's the zevazeh? The first part of the Mishnah. It sounds like with regards to that, it doesn't matter whether you became a coin gadol based on anointing with oil or based on putting on the begadim, okay? However, you got to be the active Kohen Gadol, certainly you're going to bring the Pariyam Kippurim or the Asir Saifa, regardless of how you were anointed. Fine. 
However, our Gemara points out, Masnisin Loka Rebbe Meir. That's connected to Rebbe Meir. Dika Rebbe Meir, Hatanya, the Brayse said, Maru Begadim Mevi Parabal Kalam Mitzvah, Steve Rebbe Meir, Bechachamim Amrim Eino Mevi. In other words, Rebbe Meir holds that if the Kohen Gadol became so only by only by getting the right the the Rebbe Begadim, right, then he brings the par for all the mitzvahs. And the Chalim says he doesn't bring it. And the Gemara asks, let's analyze this. My time of the Rameyer. Why is Rameyer saying that? The Tanya, because the Bible says Mashiach. Right? It says that Dafka the Mashiach, only El Mashiach Meshem and Mishcha, Meruba Bugadiminain. Right? In other words, Rameyer sounds, um, sounds funny because it sounds like only that coin Gadol, which becomes so based on being anointed with the oil, can bring that par. How do we know that, right, the par of Yom Kippur? And the Esarisa Eifa. How do we know the Meruba Begadin? It's Talmud Lomar Hamashiach. It's the extra hay of Hamashiach that teaches you that even he who gets it through the Begadin. So the Gemara asks, so then Mayu Kimna, right? The local Rabbi Meir. We just said that our Mishnah is like a Rabbi Meir. Well, that sounds like, not like Rabbi Meir. Meir sounds like the Meruba Begadin can bring the par. And that's what our Mishnah says also. So the Gemara says, no, Ema Seifa. We're talking about the end of the Mishnah. Uh, it's the end of our Mishnah that talks about what? The interim coin Gadol. That's the part that we're, that we're concerned about. The interim coin Gadol, as our Mishnah we just explained, says that the Par Yom Kippur and Siri Seifa are only the purview of he who is anointed with oil. So we say, Asal Nav Meir. That part of the Mishnah follows Rav Meir. The Tanya, Ir B'Psulu Minu Koyin Achetachtav, Rishon Chazul Avadosa, Sheni Kol Mitzvah Kohuna Gadola Alav. It's the sheet of Rav Meir that says that again. How are we going to do? Uh, how are we going to appoint the other Koyin Gadol on him? If the original Koyin Gadol is active, gets a Psul, then the first Koyin Gadol, once he becomes fit again returns to do as avoda, and the Shani can still do all the mitzvahs kahuna, as we will describe, Diver Meir, Rebbe Yossi Omer, Rishon Chazol Avadasa, Shani, and Royal Elokon, Gadol, Elokon, Hajit. So, Ve'amar Rebbe Yossi Maise, we're going to explain the case of the Maise, Rebbe Yossi Mitzipori, right, um, about uh, 16 or 18 lines up from the bottom, where we describe how the interim coin Gadol either was able to return to his avodah, like our mayor said, or had to be laid out to pasture because he could neither, right, do the hedjot because Milan Bakodish reigned Maridan, he could never go back once you're the coin Gadol, nor could he serve at the base of Mikdash out of respect, as we already learned in Masechus Yuma, for the active coin Gadol, and because out of respect for him, he can't just come in and do it, and that is the sheet of Rebiosi, which we will describe and begin with tomorrow, Bezrat Hashem.